0: For my sermon yet. I wanted to pray for Cain. What's going on with Cain? He's not doing well. Oh, Prostate problems. He's failing. failing. Let's pray for him. Lord, we love this family, the Wilhawks. You know they've been on a tough road with carrying a lot of things with health. And uh, Lord, we're interceding and asking for your healing and help for Cain. His pancreas is shutting down, and his body's failing. Lord I just pray for your help Lord carry this family give them comfort and peace and the healing that they need and help them in this time of of heavy news and uh, concern and love for their son Lord we put this in your hands and ask for your help in Jesus name Amen All right, Let me just hop up here we'll skip the stairs such a spry young guy, aren't I? Well done. Tomorrow I could fall off, but uh, today I can still hop up. So welcome. We're glad you've joined us this morning. Uh, we are starting a new just lesson today, talking about stories of Jesus, and uh, we're going to be in Luke's Gospel. If you have a Bible, we're going to look at four stories briefly. And I couldn't come up with the name for this sermon. So I gave this sermon three names. The first name is The Battle for Your Heart. The second name is Heart Lessons That We Learn Around the Table. All these stories today have something to do with a table or a meal or celebration. And then the final uh, sermon title is The Lasting Legacy of a Clean Heart. So uh, the stories of Jesus... Do you ever notice how they work when you read them? The stories of Jesus are a useful diagnostic tool that help reveal what is going on in a heart. That's interesting, the way that did that. The stories of Jesus, they just take a light and they shine. You know, we're always invited to identify with the characters in Jesus' story. And... We see some of the beauty of humanity in these stories. And we see some of the ugliness. We see the beauty of our own hearts. We see some of the ugliness of our own hearts. Jesus was a master at revealing things that are in people's hearts. When our hearts are right, we become disciples that are capable of doing great good in this world. And when when our hearts are wrong, we're also capable of Chaos and destruction around us. When God saves a person, though, I was thinking about how it's never just for the blessing of that person alone. Indeed, the blessings of those who find life in Jesus, they don't end with just the individual. Those blessings pass on to other people as well. Your faithfulness can change the lives of your friends, your parents, your siblings, your spouse, your children. The condition of your heart, it influences the people around you. For good or bad, your heart affects other people. Have you guys noticed all the kids around here lately? How many of you are happy about all these kids around here? I love all the kids around here. I'm absolutely thrilled about it, the toddlers, the babies, the young people, the older ones. Uh, Killian told me the other night what a soothing voice I have and that I should market it as a sleeping aid of some kind. Having a right heart is a blessing to the people around you. And that's why the battle for your heart is so important. Because little eyes are watching, other eyes see what's going on in your heart. This first illustration kind of builds on that true story about a guy named Bill Haven, who was a world champion canoeer. He was on the 1924 Olympics team. Uh, the Olympics that year were being held in Paris, France. Uh, It was a part of a four-man team, and he was a world champion, and his team was favored clearly, based on their practice times and record times, that they were clearly the favorites to win this event, unless something drastic were going to happen. Well, Haven's wife was also expecting a child, and unfortunately what happened is the Olympic committee scheduled the canoe races on the wife's due date around that same time. So Bill had to sit and figure out what his priorities were going to be. He had to decide what was most important to him. He couldn't be two places at once. And to everyone's surprise, he gave up his place on the Olympic team in order to be with his wife at the birth of their son. Well, His team went on to win the gold medal in the 1924 Olympics in the four-man canoeing event. And throughout the years, people would ask Bill, do you ever regret giving up your dream of Olympic gold? And his reply to that was, not for a minute. I've lived my whole life without regrets, and I have cherished my son and my son, Frank, is way more important to me than anything else. Can you imagine that? Giving up your dream and your goal, a lifelong goal for the love of someone else. He had been working toward this, building toward it. He was the favorite to win the best canoeer in the world. Set it aside to be there at the birth of his son. Well, Bill Havens, I would say, he understood something about priorities. And that's what our first lesson teaches us today. It is the parable of the great banquet from Luke chapter 14. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. To this Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet." and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go, and I must go see it, please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen And I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I cannot come. Of course not. That's reasonable. I just got married. The servant came back and reported this to his master. And then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited Will get to taste my banquet. Luke 14, verse 15 through 24. This parable brings up a question, doesn't it? What kind of heart does the parable of the great banquet reveal? What kind of heart does it reveal? This is a story of people who prioritize other things above the kingdom of God. It has a lot of similarities to the parable of the wedding feast in Matthew chapter 22 where there's a king who invites wedding guests to the wedding of his son and all of those guests make excuses. I think this story of the great banquet, it reveals an apathetic or an indifferent heart. A heart that judges your personal priorities and what you have going on in your life as more important than what God is doing around you. And what is interesting to me about this parable is that these are not bad people. They're not bad people doing bad things. These are good people doing very good and reasonable things. They're involved in the important undertakings of life. One has bought a field, property investments. We, we have stewardship. We can be involved in investments. The other bought five yoke of oxen. We have tractors today. You've got to go try out your farming equipment, don't you? Who doesn't know that newlyweds need to bond? You don't want to go knocking on newlywed, a newlywed's door too soon after they've been married. You've got to give them space. They need time together. These are all good things, aren't they? But what is their mistake? It's not that the things that they were doing were unimportant, but they grossly undervalue and misunderstand the value of the invitation that they have been given. It's so easy for you and I, isn't it, to prioritize our personal plans and ideas over the things that God is doing in this world we can even stand in opposition to him well in Jesus' parable who is it that gets to actually come to the banquet and eat at the table the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame and then just anyone who they can find on the way Ironically, oftentimes the people in this world who are most attentive to what God is doing, to his activity, to his heart, are people that we would judge to not have a whole lot going on. Maybe they don't have a lot going on in terms of their employment, not a lot going on in terms of their assets or investments, maybe not a lot going on in terms of their relationships. They don't even have a wife to hang out with. But these are people who are so humble that they treat the invitation to the banquet like the Mega Millions winning lottery ticket. These are people who know they don't deserve a seat at this table. And so these people will not miss it for the world. You see the difference in these hearts? One is an indifferent heart. I've got my stuff going on. I've got to take care of that. The other is a humble heart. When the kingdom of God presents itself to you, is it an inconvenience to you? Or do you realize in humility... I don't deserve to be here. But I won't miss this for the world. Our next story comes from Luke chapter 10. This is a story that takes place in the home of two sisters, Mary and Martha. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet Listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Luke ten, thirty-nine through forty-two. How many of you can identify with the heart of Martha? Sometimes stuff just needs to get done. Laundry doesn't wash itself and fold itself. Food doesn't cook itself. The house doesn't clean itself unless you're a Disney priz- princess and have a happy working song and can sing to the rats and roaches to clean your house for you. Sometimes stuff just needs to get done, doesn't it? When you're busy with the stuff of life, the bills that need to get paid, the house that needs to get cleaned, the kids that got to be moved from here to there, what, was it, what would it take in those moments for God to get your attention? I think the difference in the heart of these two sisters it reveals a distracted heart. A distracted heart versus a heart of devotion. Can God interrupt what you are doing? Can the work wait sometimes when you have an opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus? To sit at the feet of Jesus. Jesus. Can the work wait? Sometimes. One heart is so focused on everything that needs to be done, it doesn't recognize the presence of God right there. She was within arm's reach of God. The other heart is at the feet of Jesus and it's a heart of devotion. It's able to be, a heart that's able to be interrupted from the ruts of life. A heart that's able to recognize something more important is going on right now. Well, our next story takes place in the house at the table of a Pharisee. Story of Jesus being anointed by a sinful woman. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping. And she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, You know what? If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is and that she is a sinner. Then Jesus answered, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Well, that's the problem, isn't it? He thought he saw this woman, but he really didn't see this woman. It reveals a proud heart that Simon has. A proud heart is a judgmental heart. A proud heart is a heart that cannot see things clearly. You see, Simon couldn't see this woman. And you know what? He actually couldn't see Jesus either because his heart was not right. You did not give me any water for my feet but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. What is the difference between the heart of Simon the Pharisee and the heart of the sinful woman? One has a proud heart. The other has a broken heart. You know what a broken heart is? A broken heart is a soft heart. A broken heart is a surrendered heart. A broken heart is the kind of heart that says, I'm done with all the garbage of this world. Have your way with me, Jesus. Have your way with me. That's a soft heart. That's a broken heart. A proud heart doesn't recognize their need for a savior. A proud heart misjudges people. Can't see them clearly. Simon, he doesn't treat Jesus badly. He just treats him like a peer. Another teacher coming to dinner, like me. Jesus is an intellectual curiosity to Simon. He's all actually kind of testing Jesus. Well, there's this rumor that he's a prophet. And... But if he were really a prophet, he would know certain things. He would know who the... Jesus is an intellectual curiosity to him. His proud heart is making judgments. If this man were really a prophet, he would know. Simon did not recognize because of his proud heart that he was in the presence of someone who was greater than a prophet. Someone greater than just a teacher. The sinful woman, she's not looking for a prophet. She's not looking for a teacher. She has a broken heart and she's looking for a savior. She's looking for someone to save her. When was the last time your heart was soft enough that you went looking for a Savior? That you went searching for your Savior Jesus? When was the last time your heart was that soft? The irony of this parable or this story is that most people judge themselves to just need a little. I'm a pretty good guy and Jesus takes care of the rest but the reality is the holiest among us who's the holiest person in this room obviously we can't judge that but God knows the holiest person in this room in this world whoever that person is in this entire world is just like that sinful woman do you realize that you're like this broken sinful woman What can a person give in exchange for their soul? Can you save yourself? Are you justified by your perfection and your lack of sin? Our fourth story this morning is called The Parable of the Lost Son or The Prodigal Son. I don't like the title prodigal son because prodigal means reckless and extravagant and the most extravagant person in this story is not the son who squanders his inheritance the most extravagant and reckless person in this story is the father who gives everything to his son the extravagant love of a father who goes running to his son And I like the title, the the parable of the lost son, but it's not the parable of the lost son. There are two sons in this parable. There are two sons that need to be saved. And each of them have a different kind of heart problem. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country where he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, praise God for the moments in our lives when we come to our senses. When he came to his senses, he said, And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around. him, And he kissed him. The son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. The story of the first son, it reveals a rebellious heart. But eventually that rebellious heart gives way and he comes to his senses and he comes to his father to repent. Sometimes it takes a long time for a rebellious heart to come to its senses. And sadly in this world there are people who are completely destroyed and consumed by their sin and they never have a moment when they come to their senses and when that moment would come they throw it away and they would rather eat pig slop starving to death than ask for their father's forgiveness don't have that kind of rebellious heart well this isn't the only lost son that the father has. He has a second lost son who's lost in a different kind of way. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf, fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all the years, these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, and yet you never even gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes, you killed the fatted calf for him? My son, Father said. You are always with me. And everything I have is yours. Do you realize that everything God has is yours? You are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he is found. The younger son has a rebellious heart, and that rebellious heart eventually comes to its senses and becomes a repentant heart. A rebellious heart says, I know best how to take care of myself I want the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Get out of my way. You do, you all do me. My father is holding out on me. So many people live this life like God doesn't know what he's asking of us and that we know best for ourselves. The older son has a different kind of heart problem. He has an envious or jealous heart. Why am I not getting my fair share? He can't see. He cannot see that everything the Father has is his already. The heart of faith is different. A heart of faith can see everything my father has, it belongs to me already. A heart of faith says, I know my father is going to take care of me. No matter what comes my way, I know my father is going to take care of me. A heart of faith is able to celebrate the blessings of other people and not look around comparing. Well, they got, they got such and such. What did I get? A heart of faith trusts that our Father is going to give us everything we need in his perfect time. Well, the reason Jesus tells us this story is not just so we recognize the heart of a rebellious son or an envious son. Jesus tells us this story so we can know what the heart of God is like. This is really a story of a father whose love and compassion is so great that he goes to both of his sons who have different kinds of problems. This is really a story of a heart of a father that is filled with love and compassion. And so this is where we'll end this morning. Talking about the priorities of your life. What is the condition of your heart? What's your heart like today as you come here to this place? What's your heart going to be like after you leave this place? The parable of the great banquet shows us an indifferent heart that can't give the invitation to the great banquet consideration it's an apathetic heart I've got better things to do thank you Jesus versus a humble heart I would not miss this for the world at the house of Mary and Martha a distracted heart the stuff that has to be done don't you care tell her to help me versus a heart of devotion who realizes something more important is going on The best ministry that I do, it's not from this pulpit. Sometimes I get to do good things from this pulpit. In the house of Simon the Pharisee, a proud heart compared to this sinful woman who's just looking for a savior. The parable of the lost sons, one who has a rebellious heart who becomes repentant and one who has a jealous heart and the invitation there is for a heart of faith but the invitation behind all of this is the loving compassionate heart of God the Father well when it comes to our hearts we're never just one thing all the time most of the time, I'm somewhere here. And in moments, I can move here. But I'm not the same as I used to be. A lot of times, I'm distracted by the things I've got to get going on. And I'm missing the chance to sit at my feet, the feet of my Savior. A lot of times, I... I have a proud heart that does not see see things clearly as I should. And other times, thank you, Lord, for these moments when my heart is soft enough that I go looking for my Savior. A lot of times I have a rebellious heart. Repentance is a great gift for us. Are you too proud to repent? A jealous heart. I'm not getting my fair share versus a heart of faith. Everything my Father has is mine already, and He's going to take care of me. The battle for your heart is very real, the battle for my heart is very real. And over the course of our lives, we strive to have a clean heart before our God. The efforts you make, they're not just for you alone, though. And that's where I want to wrap up this story again this morning. Getting this heartwork work right by the grace of God over time and through effort and through the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not just going to make the difference for you. It makes the difference of lives, for lives around you. Your victories are not just your own. They affect others as well. Will you remember where we started this morning, this story of Bill Haven who gave up his dream for Olympic gold because he wasn't going to miss the birth of his son. This man who set priorities and stuck by them. Well, as it turns out, this wasn't actually the end of Bill Haven's quest for Olympic gold. But it would take nearly three decades for this story to unfold. And many people recognize this as one of the greatest moments of Olympic history. Remember that little boy, Frank, who was born? Frank grew up canoeing with his dad. He learned to love canoeing as much as his dad did. And he saw the priorities his dad made. Who let go of a dream for the love of a son. Can you let go of your dream for the love of a son? Frank grew up to be a world champion canoeer as well. Nearly thirty years later, he got to compete in the 1952 Olympics, which were held in Helsinki, Finland. And Frank Havens, son of Bill Havens, won the gold medal in the singles 10,000 meter canoeing event. And he sent a message back. Sent a message back to his dad. Well, Helsinki, Finland in 1952 to Vermont, or, or I think Virginia. You know, you couldn't just call on a phone. The cell phones No, they had telegraph machines. And those telegraph machines, you had to pay by the letter and by the word, and it was expensive. So any transatlantic messages you would send, they would be very short and to the point. Frank Havens wrote this telegram to his father in 1952. Dad, I just won the gold. I'll be home soon. I can't wait to give you your gold medal. That is the opportunity that we have when we get our hearts right with God. That is the legacy that is ours when we get our hearts right with God. Rob, you can come up. We always offer an invitation, either for the prayers of this church or to put the Lord on in baptism to be a, become a formal part of this church body. But I also want to say, brothers and sisters, do not give up on the battle for your heart. Don't give up. Your Savior believes in you. And you are capable of great good in this world. And your faithfulness could lead to a lot of lives being saved. Keep your priorities straight. It's not just your heart alone that's at stake. Let's uh, go ahead and stand and sing together.